Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Karen Miller, and she'll be answering your most important questions about Tenkara for big fish. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Karen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right-hand column. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Karen Miller about Tenkara for big fish. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Karen, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at Ask About Fly Fishing and look for the link under Karen's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a $25 gift certificate to Front Range Anglers in Boulder, Colorado. And you'll be able to redeem this gift certificate either in the store or online. So uh, everybody uh, will benefit if uh, they win this prize. So here's how you win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Karen and I talk about during the show. And you must submit your answer along with your name and location in the text box on our homepage. So it's the same text box that you use to ask questions during the show. So listen closely and uh, take notes, and hopefully you'll win a $25 gift certificate to Front Range Anglers in Boulder, Colorado. Our guest tonight is Karen Miller. Karen is the founder and owner of Zen Tenkara, a Colorado company that designs, manufactures, and sells Tenkara rods, lines, and accessories. Her company has pioneered the broad application of this ancient Japanese flying fly fishing method to define American Tenkara. Karen and her company are known for designing high-performance, cutting-edge Tenkara rods, innovative in pushing the boundaries of this realist method. 
She's been accused of creating a fusion style of fly fishing and chases large, powerful species all over the globe. Karen has landed tarpon, bonefish, permit, shark, barracuda, carp, sockeye, silvers, and chum salmon, all on her 10-car rods, as well as plenty of trout. Well, Karen, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Well, good. I hope we have... Uh, I know we'll have a lot of fun tonight talking about a different aspect of Tenkara. And, um, folks, uh, just to give you a heads up, um, I am in Belize using Skype to do this, and we, Karen and I have a little bit of delay with each other, so hopefully it'll all work out in the end. Uh, so bear with us, and <laughs> we'll, we'll try to get this done as, as best we can. All right. Well, Karen, um, let's, uh, let's just... You know, give us a little background for people that don't know about Tenkar at all. You know, what is it, uh, you know, how did it originate uh, initially? And give us a story of how you got from there to where you are today. Sure. Well, um, for those people who uh, are unfamiliar with the fly fishing method of Tenkara, uh, it is a, considered an ancient method of fishing um, from Japan, which is, you know, hundreds of years old, and uh, it was used in the high mountain streams by commercial fishermen. They were going through the dense forest fishing for, uh, for subsistence and needed a, a rod that was efficient. The telescoping aspect of the rod uh, made it easier for them to move around through these, you know, wooded areas. And it really, I guess, lost popularity over the years. And uh, in Japan, regular fly fishing is much more uh, popular. But in about 2009, uh, it was brought over to the States, and it has sort of slowly, painfully been taking off, uh, and I think uh, building momentum um, over the last 10 years that it uh, was introduced here in the United States, and is, I think will continue uh, to grow. So um, I was first exposed to Tenkara about 2010 uh, and started the company in 2012 because I just fell in love with the simplicity of this fixed line rod. So there uh, is no reel involved in this method. There are no guides on the uh, fly rod. The rod is made from sections and it collapses down. Each section, uh, when it's collapsed, sits inside of the next kind of like the Russian, you know, nesting dolls. And um, they're highly transportable. They're ultra lightweight. They're very quick to set up and break down. And they're effective. So they're just wonderful. So you, um, now initially, the first 10-car rods that kind of were introduced in the United States were, Primarily, I think, for more small trout springs, uh, trout streams, <laughs> and um, 
uh, more lightweight, you know, fishing for trout more than any other fish. But you're now pushing that further, right? You term your uh, your gear and so forth, American Tenkara. So kind of tell us what that what that means to you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I fell in love with this method, and uh, it was just so effective for the waters that I fished in Colorado, smaller streams, uh, smaller rivers, and a lot of smaller trout. Um, but, you know, there's always uh, this side of me that uh, – is is sort of you know the four year old kid that makes me kind of wonder about things. Um, I always am asking questions and and wondering why and what'll happen if. And you know every pretty much every culture out there has some history of a fixed line rod. You know um, we think of uh, cane poles or. Um, uh, roach poles in um, in England. Um, these were all fixed line systems. A lot of people can identify with learning how to fly fish with, you know, uh, a stick with a line tied off the end. Um, and so many people have had this experience, and so many of us have fished this way because it works. It's simple and it works. And we have been landing fish, large fish, for thousands of years, long before reels were ever invented. And um, I want to clarify right off the bat um, that I love my reels, my rod and reels, and, uh, you know, I'm not throwing them away. Uh, I embrace them. I enjoy using them. Um, but fishing a fixed line, uh, a Tinkara method, um, is just my go-to. So when I was doing this, um, it just made me wonder, well, what is the limit on this? I mean, this, this works really efficient, and I'm landing fish, and I feel like I'm bringing them in um, faster and more efficiently often than on a reel. So, you know, where is the, the limit of this method? What can I do? What can't I do? And when I started the company um, and started to produce the rods, I, you know, that was my main goal, just to see what else we could do with it. Um, America uh, is a, a huge country with very diverse waterways. Um, Japan is a small company, uh, country and, um, you know, has a lot of uh, mountainous streams. So we have, we have a lot of um, diverse um, and varied options as far as fishing uh, and species. And so I wanted to find out, you know, would this work in other scenarios? And started to experiment, and, and the more I experimented, uh, the more I realized, wow, this works very well and can be applied with a variety of species, um, not only fresh, but also salt water. And so some people will say that Tenkara is fishing, uh, a, you know, specific rods for specific species in a specific environment. 
Um, and if you're doing something out of that realm, it's no longer Tenkara. I try very hard to respect the culture that uh, many people follow and that um, is associated with this Japanese method. So I like to say that what I'm doing is American Tenkara. Uh, it is a six-line method. I'm using Tenkara rods uh, to get a job done. I may or may not be using uh, explicit Tenkara techniques, but it works. And it works on many species that, you know, people just, just laughed at when um, I started talking about uh, targeting those types of fish. Uh, so, you know, whenever I, whenever I go after something, I have to kind of give myself permission to fail, you know, because I never really know yeah. whether it's going to work or not. Uh, but I see failures as, as opportunities to learn. Uh, usually they actually deliver the best, uh, the best lessons. But a lot of times when uh, we go for a larger species or target something, um, you know, it's, it's not only to test the method, but it tests my skill personally. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out there, putting myself out there as well, uh, which, you know, it makes you sort of vulnerable. So it, it's not just does this method work, but, but do I have the skill set uh, to do what needs to be done? Uh, and then also, you know, will my rod hold up? So it's, it's sort of a double whammy. Um, and and you, you are very vulnerable when, when you're out there um, doing it. I think the greatest, uh, I guess, surprise from all of this is the rods have performed um, better than I ever would have imagined. And uh, in some cases, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm in disbelief, you know, when I've landed the fish and it's just this amazing uh, experience and I'm, I can't believe that I've just yeah. done uh, what I've just done, and so. Yeah, Karen, let's uh, talk about, I, I mean, I mentioned a few of them in your introduction about the types of fish you've caught on Tenkara, but why don't you blow their minds a little bit uh, <laughs> and tell, tell folks <laughs> some of the fish that, that would surprise them that you did catch with it on Tenkara. Yeah, um, well, of course I've landed trout you know, uh, all kinds of uh, trout, but, and the small fish, the panfish, the bluegills, the crappie, uh, grayling, uh, up from there, bass, carp, machaca, which is just an incredibly fun species, bonefish, uh, jacks, uh, creval, snapper, yellowfin, milkfish, perch, needles, barracuda, Permit, sockeyes, chum salmons, uh, striped bass, silvers, uh, bluefin, um, <laughs> you name it. And <laughs> if I can get to it, then, then I'm going to try to land it, you know. Uh, so yeah. we were, yeah. uh, you know, 
we were chasing machaca and um, uh, and then had some uh, surf casting action in Costa Rica along with some trout. That was a blast. Uh, and then just came back from the Maldives targeting uh, bluefin, uh, trevally, and, you know, uh, reef groupers and barracudas, um, black tip sharks, hammerheads, bonnet heads we've done, um, tarpon. Um, so, yeah, we're out there. Yeah, lots <laughs> of fish. fish. Yeah, lots of fish, definitely, yeah. So let's, um, you kind of described the, the typical Tenkara setup, I think, uh, for the most part, you know, fixed line, no reel. Uh, but, you know, initially when Tenkara was introduced, um, like I said before, it's kind of a lightweight rod, right? I mean, can you kind of compare Hopefully that to, lightweight. you know, what, yeah, yeah, kind of kind of compare that to what most people would think of in their regular, you know, reel and, and rod fishing as to where it started out. And then I'd like you to tell us about some of the rod designs that you've developed from there. And, you know, this is maybe going to sound like a commercial <laughs> for you, but I think it's important because you've designed these rods for specific purposes to catch specific fish that you want to go after. So I think it's important to know what's behind the design. So let's start out with where everybody kind of, okay, this was a kind of a typical Tenkara setup for trout, and then what? how did you step that up after that? Sure. Well, in Tenkara, usually length is an advantage, um, you know, because you're on a fixed line. So you usually have a long rod, and when I say long, 12 feet is pretty typical, 12 or 13 feet. And they're typically lightweight rods, and you're pairing it with an ultra-lightweight line and doing a very small cast, so your line typically matches the length of your rod. If I had a 12-foot rod, I would be pairing it with a 12-foot line, approximately, and then adding a few feet of tippet. Um, often you're pairing it with either a uh, furled, tapered, uh, or, or braided leader, or um, a ultralight Tenkara uh, level line, which is like a mono line. Um, and so very delicate uh, presentations where your cast is small and everything is off the water except for your fly. Just your fly is hitting uh, the surface of the water. It's a fly first presentation. And that works great for trout. Um, and when you talk about Tenkara rods, you're usually talking about length and flex. So if somebody says, oh, I have a 13-foot, 6-4 flex, what they are referring to is the percentage of the rod that is stiff versus flexible. So a 6-4 flex rod would be approximately 60% of that rod uh, is stiff and 40% of that rod goes into a deeper bend. So that would be considered a medium fast action rod. Uh, flax flex in Tenkara basically equals action. If you have a 
7-3 flex, you would have 70% of the rod stiff, 30% flexes, and that would result in a slightly faster rod. Uh, a 5-5 five five flex, which is considered a full flex, 50% stiff, 50% flexible, would be a much slower casting, slower action rod. Um, when I started thinking about other species and just where this method, where else this method could be applied, we really started to think, um, you know, what the regular fly fisherman was doing and what would help or hinder those situations if you took away their reel, then what what would the rod have to do, um, you know, in order to get the job done? So um, we, you know, a regular tenkara rod would probably be in the four weight. An average standard generic tenkara rod would probably be considered about a four weight rod. Um, and we have rods okay. that are you know, three-weight, six-weight, nymphing rods, spay-casting rods, um, just kind of the whole the whole gambit. Did I, did I answer the question? I think maybe I got a little lost there. No, um, no, no, you're fine. So, you're fine. Um, yeah, so we, we have a very lightweight, like you said, you know, three, four weight uh, of what most people would think of tenkar, and they're going, you know, well, how could I ever catch a salmon or a tarpon on something like that, or even a bonefish, you know. Um, but um, so what you started, uh, I mean, what was the first step you took in your rod design to amp it up so that you could catch bigger fish? Well, you know, Tenkara rods are very complicated, and when, and boy, um, you know, we, it, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, well, complex recipe to make a Tenkara rod. Most people think about length and flex, but there are a, a number of other factors that go into it. Um, you have the spec of the rod, you have the taper of the rod, you have the girth, you have, um, then when we talk about the rod blank, you're talking about uh, the actual material that the rod blank is made out of, uh, the directionality of the wraps that make up that rod blank, you're wrapping carbon fiber. Um, the... Um, the weave of that carbon fiber and um, how many layers you have of carbon fiber. There's a lot that goes into making um, making a rod. And what also sets Tenkara rods apart from regular rods is they are, <laughs> they're spineless. They are the Gumby Yogi rods of the fly fishing industry. Fly rods have a spine and a belly. They're designed and wrapped. The rod blank is wrapped to cast in a certain direction. There's a top and a bottom. And that's why, you know, lining up those guides are so important because you want that spine to be lined up and, you know, everything 
to work to get the most out of that rod. And car rods don't have spines. They flex in all directions. Uh, and so it's a completely different process. So you really have to think about, you know, what you're targeting, what is the, what would be the purpose and application of this rod, and then, you know, what do we need it to do? Your rod acts as your drag system since you don't have a reel. So uh, does it need to have backbone? Does it need to have flex? Does it need to be really long? Uh, does it need to have girth? In, in most of these situations, you know, we also get down to the, the sort of the carbon fiber of it, the real, uh, you know, nuts and bolts of, of what your rod is made out of. And um, it boils down to being a very high-performance material that will not break when it's under um, duress or, or pressure, which a lot of rods will do. So, you know, I do want to, you know, my, my disclaimer out there for, for people who are getting into Tenkara, not uh, every rod is designed to land a bonefish or a permit or, you know, a big silver uh, salmon. So you have to have, you know, the tool to do the job, just like anything else. You wouldn't go out and chase a, a permit or a tarpon with a three-weight um, fly rod. So you also need the right rod for the right species in Tinkara as well. So not all rods are designed for big fish. Right, right. I'd like to come back to that in just a, a minute here. Uh, we got to take a quick break here. But uh, let's do just that, and then we'll come back and we'll explore this a little bit, bit deeper. Sound good? Okay. Yes. All right. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak wraps. These wraps are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster wraps are everything your personal watercraft should be. They've been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I've ever tried. After two and a half years, Testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, that's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Karen Miller about Tenkara for Big Fish. If you'd like to ask Karen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, Karen, um, going back to where we were, um, when you're saying, you know, you've described, hey, there's a lot going into the creation of these rods for the different purposes. So your line of rods... Um, how does the, I mean, using the names of your rods and description of your rods, how do they, what rod would I use for, you know, a largemouth bass versus a bonefish versus a permit versus a tarpon? How does that lay of the land go with your rod selection? Sure. 
Well, we have, for one thing that really sets us apart is that we talk about our rods um, like regular rods. We do, we have created a, a term uh, and a fray rating, uh, which we've assigned to each of our rods. It's F-R-A-E, uh, fly rod approximate equivalency. And it's a little tricky because it isn't oh, okay. exact, uh, you know, an exact interpretation, but it is our closest approximation that we can get. And it, it's, you know, weights on fly rods are familiar to people, so it gives customers um, an idea of what they can do with that rod, what the rod's capability are. So, you know, if I'm going to be backpacking the Appalachian Trail, I need a small rod and would be going for the Suzumi with a fray rating of a three weight. Um, if I am going down to Ascension Bay, uh, which is where I'll be heading this this weekend, uh, chasing bonefish, I will use my soggy rod, uh, S-A-G-I, which has a fray rating of uh, approximately a seven weight. It's a long, lean, very elegant rod. I can throw 30 plus feet of salt water level uh, fly line with eight feet, nine feet of a bonefish leader and land bonefish all day on that rod. Um, if I'm going up to Alaska to chase king salmon, then I will be taking the taka and probably the kyogen as well, which are uh, rods that have fray ratings of eight weights. Um, and they're slightly different rods uh, used in slightly different scenarios, but you know, that's sort of um, where we go and we talk about on our website. We give descriptions, we give fray ratings, and it gives people an idea of what the rods can do. Um, you know, one thing that really sets our rods apart is the, the carbon fiber that we're using. Um, you know, we're a small company. You know, I don't do expensive advertising. I don't do expensive packaging. Uh, everything that we have goes into our rod blank because bottom line is your rod, whether it's a Tinkara rod or a regular fly rod, is only as good as its blank. It doesn't matter that. I mean, handles can have some impact on the rod, um, and they certainly can help with balance um, and comfort and those types of things. But Really, when you're buying a rod, you should be paying for the blank, not the paint job, not the the rod case that it comes in, you know, not the packaging, and not not the marketing and the great ads. Your money should be paying for that rod blank, and that's what we do. So our rods, uh, you know, in the in the sporting industry. Um, Equipment that's made from carbon fiber is typically a standard modulus or an intermediate modulus carbon fiber. Um, high modulus carbon fibers are usually set aside for, you know, aerospace types of things or high-tech uh, types of things. And intermediate 
modulus has a rating of I am I am six to I am twelve. And most high end rod companies high end and I don't mean just Tinkara, um, are using carbon fiber that is not standard modulus, but is intermediate modulus um, in fly rods because they want the lightness. But they're usually in the 6 to 8 IM range. We're using IM 10 and IM 12 for all of our rods. And we talk about that because we're confident in talking about that. Many other companies, you know, they'll talk about their rod, but they'll never really tell you what the what type of carbon fiber they use. And and we do because we're proud of it. And it's what gives our rods the strength and, and yet allows them to be light and to, um, you know, muscle uh, many of these fish. Um, so, you know, I think that's really uh, a critical part of our rods. And then it's, you know, it's yeah. testing and prototypes and, and working through design issues. I'm sorry? I'm quite, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, in that process you end up, uh, uh, because cause we'll talk about technique and in, in, in fighting and landing a fish here in a minute. But uh, I'm pretty sure that you probably broke quite a few rods trying to figure out what the dialing in the the design and the uh, strength and the and the flex and all those things that that are necessary for these larger fish. And uh, I'm sure that's part of the process, right? It's actually you know a fun part of the process because you get to go out and <laughs> you're actually just trying to break rods, you know. Um, Sometimes uh, when I go on a trip, I'll bring a dozen rods and, you know, trying to break them. What what happens, though, often is they don't break. And that, that's, I guess it's the cool part, although, you know, I keep wanting to get a Tenkar rod uh, exploding on video in slow motion because I, I think that would be great video, but um, it doesn't happen, you know, it's we sometimes break a tip, which is not a big deal. You can you can break a tip on an eight-inch trout, you know, um, and it's a very inexpensive repair if it was the customer who experienced that and not me. You know, it's a $15 repair for the customer, so it's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. And, you know, it. I think that is all part of the process. I mean, we really try to be innovative in our designs and yet simple. You know, Tinkara rods, there aren't a lot of pieces to them in, in the sense that the whole idea is that they're uncomplicated. So you don't have a lot to work with. You know, the blank is is the biggest thing, and we've put everything into our blanks. Mm -hmm. um, we also are the only company that has have interchangeable tips. So it doesn't matter if you have our three-weight Suzumi or our eight-weight Taka rod. It's all the same tip. We so if you you know you have more than one of our rods, you can you can grab uh, the tip section out of another rod if you're going on a trip. We also offer a performance tip, 
which changes the action of the rod, which is completely novel to to the ten car world. There's no other company that offers a performance tip. You pull out the tip, put a different one in, and now all of a sudden you have a, a different action, a different feel to the rod. You can individualize it if you like a faster action rod or if you're changing your setup and maybe nymphing uh, and throwing heavier setups and you want that quicker hook set. We just produced a rod that comes with two completely different tips uh, it's a zoom rod, so it fishes at two different lengths, but you can change the tip, and when you change the tip, you not only change the action, you change the length of the rod, too. So you've got a kind of a bad boy, six-weight, nymphing, euro-nymphing rod with a lot of backbone to pull, like, big browns out of those deep holes um, that fishes at, 9 feet and 11 feet, but then I can switch out the tip and uh, put our standard tip in, and now that rod becomes a 10-foot, 12-foot rod that throws delicate dry patterns. Um, and then I can pull that tip out and put in my performance tip, and I have a, a mid-middle action that's halfway between our stiffer tip and our soft tip, again, that changes the action so that you can individualize your experience. So one rod, four lengths, uh, you know, three tip actions, yeah, that's, you know, total innovations and in simplicity. So yeah. we really like to, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd push... Say. You know, push those the wheels to turn, and how can we make something that's so simple better? So, right, right. Um, we do have a couple questions here, and then I want to talk about lines. Um, Frank in Nevada City, so he says, "What's the best length of rod to use?" Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that's uh, he needs to define that a bit more about where you're fishing or what you're fishing for, right? As far as length. Yeah, that's a difficult question because it depends on the water you're fishing. Um, if if I'm, you know, fishing on a lake or the ocean or uh, a, just a bigger river, then I, you know, I probably want a longer rod. Uh, if I'm fishing a really small stream, you know, up in Rocky Mountain National Park with a lot of overhang, then I probably want a small rod that... Um, you know, that allows me to get into those tight places. So you really want to look at the water that you fish the most often and then find a rod that um, will function in that space uh, comfortably. Most of the time it's a little longer than what you're used to. And I would say a 12-foot rod, 13-foot rod is a very common length and it's a very all-purpose length. And then I think you specialize by either going down or up from there. Okay. We did get a, another question in, and uh, it's from John Young in uh, Ohio. He asks, I have a Tenkara Ito, or Ito, ITO. Uh, what size fish can I realistically land on this? I don't think that's one of your rods, though, is it? It is not, and so I do yeah. just 
I wouldn't want to break somebody's rod. So I don't know what the limit is of that rod. I would suggest mm-hmm. you contact okay. the manufacturer and ask, you know, ask that question to them um, to get yeah. a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sorry um, about that. Let's, uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, can't can't uh, can't uh, go to the specs on something you don't make. So um, right now, um, let's talk about lines because this is something that interested me. I know, uh, you know, when I first looked at the ten car rods, uh, you know, you kind of got the whole setup. You got the lines and so forth, and there weren't many lines to choose from. But now that you're expanding into, you know, largemouth bass. Um, uh, tropical waters. Um, I imagine we have to look at some <laughs> different things in the way of, you know, different specifications for lines. So how do you handle that? Are, are you making your own lines? Are they manufactured? You know, we are, you taking are making lines? our own. No, okay. we are making our own lines here in Colorado, and uh, we, we're very excited about, uh, about our lines. Um, and uh, you know, working in partnership uh, with a with someone who produces them uh, collaboratively with us on design. So we have a floating line that uh, let's see, it's been out for about maybe two years now. Very good reviews. You know, I, for traditional. Tenkara, there used to be a lot of lines out there. There still are, and most of them I don't like <laughs> for one reason or another. Um, and so that's what started me on my line quest. Um, braided lines were kind of heavy, and they absorbed water. Um, you know, if you ever got a knot in them, it was sitting down with uh, straight pins and a magnifying glass to try and you know, get the knots out. Uh, Tinkara level line uh, has stretch to it and uh, a lot of memory. A lot of the nylon lines um, or some of these hybrid lines, um, you know, if you get caught in a tree or you, you pull on them, they end up like a great big bird's nest or a slinky, you know, a tangled slinky. Um, some of the level lines were so light that you know, on windy days, I couldn't even keep my fly in the water because the wind would lift everything up. So I got frustrated and said, "There's got to be, there's got to be a better line out there." And uh, so we came up with our floating line, our Zen uh, floating line, and really put a lot of forethought into that. It's a level line, has a solid, solid core. It's 100% recyclable, eco-friendly. It doesn't uh, leach like PVC. It has a connection loop. We color-coded tags at the end so you could look at it and know exactly how long it was by the little colored tag. As I get older, I can't see my fly and the line as much. I also like to do a lot of euro-nymphing and don't like to use any indicator, external indicator, so I built in a high-vis section to the line, uh, very clean line, clean, slim connections. Uh, we put in a tippet ring. We also allowed for loop-to-loop connections if you want to throw on a traditional leader. Uh, or you don't like tying knots on the river. And these lines 
functioned so well that it really started to get me thinking about the bigger rods because what we were doing is, uh, or what we have been doing, is is using traditional fly line for these big setups. Uh, and I get uh, calls all the time by uh, people who say, I'm, I'm going here to fish for this species, or I'm, I'm going to this country to do this. You know, what kind of a line do I need? And for a while, I was we were custom making lines for each of these scenarios, which was crazy. You know, I mean, it, it was very time-consuming and very precise and, and very difficult, too, because it's sort of your best-guess scenario if you haven't actually done that. And the more I started to fish big species, I really started to hone in on lengths that worked best for the rods or in different scenarios, what I was using the most. And then also how these different rods performed based on the different grain weight of the lines that I was using. And so we have been working pretty diligently for uh, about the last year and a half to two years on honing in grain weights for each of our big rods, matching those grain weights uh, to lines that we are now in the process uh, of producing that will be, you know, pre, um, pre-packaged Tinkara lines for big rods that will look very similar to regular fly line, but they will have connection loops so that you can attach them to your Lillian uh, easily to the cord at the end of your rod. And uh, you can also, you know, do your rigging at the bottom. Um, Mm -hmm. And we are also looking at some weight forward lines, so different profile lines, level lines, weight forward lines, in order to really get maximum turnover and performance out of the rod since casting is critical and a little different when you don't have a a reel that you can right, shoot right. or haul from, you know. Yeah, now that brings up another uh, – This uh, Bill in Indianapolis was asking how he should rig up uh, a specific 10-car rod, but I don't believe it's one of yours, but it brings up – Another interesting question, because he says he recently bought uh, Patagonia 20-foot small-diameter fly line made by Cortland uh, that was made for Tenkara. So, you know, are we going to see interchangeable lines for Tenkara between manufacturers like we do today? In other words, I might buy a Winston rod and get a Cortland line or, you know, so do you see that as a future? It's, well, you know, nobody thought that Tenkara would be around <laughs> this long. Um, oh. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, back in 2011, if you asked uh, whether we'd be talking about saltwater Tenkara and bonefish on Tenkara, you know, everybody would laugh and nobody would think seriously about that. So, you know, I don't think Tenkara is going away. I think it's it's growing and it's building momentum and more and more people are realizing that it's um, 
that it's a great method and it's just another thing to add into your fly fishing repertoire or your fishing repertoire. So, you know, I think at the moment, uh, we are the only company going in that direction. Uh, I don't know if other companies will will really follow, but um, it would be, you know, it certainly would be interesting if if that's where we landed. I I hope that um, as an industry, Tenkara continues to grow, and the different you know, what we do with it and how we fish with it continues to expand. Um, you know, I'm, right now, what we're doing when we're chasing these big species is we are, you know, I'm walking customers through matching line weight. And on our website, we also talk about line weight, you know, what this right. rod pairs well with. Because we don't have those lines available yet. Um, I'm hoping that they will be available by the end of the year, or at least some of them. It will probably be gradual releases, and we'll build on them. But, you know, right now when somebody uh, tells me, hey, I'm going for this, and, you know, what rod do you think I need, and what line works well with it, you know, if you bought a soggy and said you were going to go to Mexico to, to fish, I would say, you know, if you're going for bonefish, that rod loads really sweet with a six-weight fly line. Five or six-weight fly line, um, you can throw 30 or 40 feet of that, and you can make the most beautiful loops in the world. If you've got a lot of wind, you may have to go a little heavier, uh, depending on the fly that you're throwing, you might have to alter the weight. So when I go on, on a trip, especially someplace that I've never fished before, you know, I bring a little line wallet that we sell on our website, and I take fly line, and I chop it up, different, weight, different weights of uh, regular fly line in different lengths. Now, I know the rods, and I know what's going to pair well. So it's usually two or three different lengths. And I might bring, you know, or I should take two or three different weights, and I may bring three different length sections of that. So I'm often telling people, go buy an inexpensive fly line and chop it up in a couple of different lengths. I mean, you know the river you're going to fish. If, if it's a 50-foot river, you don't need a line probably more than 30 feet. So chop out 30 feet of, of running line. And tie it onto the end yeah. of your rod. <laughs> and have fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's how you work it now until, until you can develop these specific lines. You're, you're just basically making them for the application and um, and that seems like it's working out well. Let's take a, another quick break here and then come back and talk about some of your presentation uh, methods and techniques uh, so that people can understand how, how these rods cast and so forth. So uh, be right back, and we'll talk about that. Looking for that shot at permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island, and you're only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. 
You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhiprayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Karen Miller about Tenkara for Big Fish. If you'd like to ask Karen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Okay, Karen, so let's talk about, you know, presentation techniques. I mean, we've got, you know, from what you've been telling us, you're fishing small flies, large flies, trout flies, bass bugs, heavy streamers, maybe bait fish patterns in the salt. Um, so what, what kind of casting, you know, methods and techniques do you use to accommodate all these different size flies and, and fishing conditions? Well, you have to be willing to be thoughtful. And, and I think that's part of what I enjoy about uh, this method of of fly fishing and what we're doing with it. Um, you can't just go out there and, you know, same old, same old. Um, you have to think about what you're targeting and where you're targeting it. And so if you are in a fishing for salt and you are targeting permit or bonefish uh, or tarpon, um, you are casting probably uh, a, a long line, right? It's, it's not going to be a 12-foot line. We know that. So it's probably going to be a 30-foot saltwater line plus, you know, a 9 to 12-foot of leader tippet. And depending on what you're going for, it could be a crab pattern, it could be, uh, you know, a shrimp, uh, a clouser, whatever you're putting on there. Um, and you can't shoot line and you can't haul, so you have to work to get that line into the air. Now, it sounds like it's difficult, but it's actually much easier and uh, takes less effort than you would think because you need to remember that these rods are very flexible and they, you know, act almost like slingshots. In fact, uh, most of the time, the biggest issue we have when we're working or training people, uh, whether it's it's guides or um, uh, just customers, is that they overcast and they are working way harder than they need to. So most of the time, the rod does all the work for you. Whether you're wading or whether you're on a boat, um, you're often water-loading the line and getting it into the air and then casting it forward. There's very little false casting. Uh, it might be one, maybe maybe two, uh, usually not, uh, and uh, in some cases you're using uh, spay casting techniques to lift your line um, and then, you know, lay it out in front of you. So when you're 
casting short lines and doing traditional tenkara, it's a wrist movement and a very, very small cast. You're using, it's almost like you're flicking water off of a paintbrush. You're throwing your line up, casting to 12, and you're stopping at 10 in sort of abrupt movements, the 10 to 12, 10 to 12, with your finger on top pointing to where you want your fly to land. When you're moving 30 or 40 feet of line on a 13 or 15 foot rod, you can't risk cast. You cannot do a traditional tenkar cast. You've got uh, too much line, too much weight. Uh, that's where that fusion term comes in because now you are, you know, you're carrying a lot of uh, line and weight with you, and now you're rolling your hands back over, putting your thumb on on the top of that rod, and using your shoulder to, to cast that line out. So it becomes like a traditional fly cast. I see. Now, what do you do, um, you know, I envision, okay, you know, we could talk about salt or, you know, in a good case of fishing for a bonefish, um, you know, the, the fish is moving, you might have to shorten up your next cast uh, by five feet. So, you know, traditionally, you know, you just draw in five feet of line and then recast. So how do you control, you know, the different lengths? I, I realize, you know, you only have a certain range you can really cast effectively in, I would guess, given the length of your line and the length of your rod. So what are the what kind of controls do you have to shorten, lengthen those casts and you know in the in the middle of uh trying to target a fish. Well, you do have limits. So when you're on a boat, you can adjust and you can move. When you're waiting, you can also adjust and move. When you're sight fishing for a single fish, you're not going to have probably as many shots at that fish as with a traditional rod and reel where you can, you know, pull in line and, and shoot out more line depending on where that fish goes. On the flip side of that, so, you know, I guess in the total scheme of things, you have less casting opportunities. But on the flip side, you have more accurate casting opportunities. So if I have tied on a 30-foot line, and it only takes seconds to switch out a line on a 10-car rod. Um, so if I'm targeting a bonefish, you know, that I spotted, um, would I be switching out lines in the middle of that? No, but, you know, after, if I was going to a slightly different scenario uh, within that same um, fishing excursion, could I switch out a line real quickly? Yes. Um, so, you know, up in Alaska, if I'm going on to different rivers, I can switch out lines. But you're getting a size, you're estimating this is about the, the length that's going to work best for me. And usually it's the, the shortest line that you need to get the job done, right? Because the longer the line you have, Let's face it, the trickier it is to cast and the trickier it is to land. So am I ever going to put a 50-foot line on, 
my rod plus, you know, a 10-foot leader? Probably not. 30 feet, 35 feet, you know, 40, that's about as long as I ever want to go. Um, so there will be opportunities that, you know, quite frankly, Roger, you just miss out on. But right. you make the yep. most of the opportunities that you have. Because if I'm casting a 30-foot line, and I have a 30-foot line tied on to my car rod for three, four hours, you better believe I know that distance like the back of my hand. So yeah, you yeah. cue into that so completely that, you know, you can hit – you know, a half dollar mark or or a little saucer, you know, 40 feet away, time after time after time after time. And I think that's the part where you kind of have to just be okay with sometimes saying, I can't, I just can't get to it. And I'll give you an example of that. So we were fishing up at Rapids Camp Lodge on the Naknek River up in Alaska. And we were fishing for rainbows, for uh, busts on the surface. They were feeding on smelt that were coming up the river. And, you know, I was on the bow, and I had a counterpart on the stern, but on, on a reel, a regular setup. And a lot of times when we fish, we will go head-to-head with one or two other people who are on a reel because we want to compare productivity. And and it's okay to say, well, that was fun, but it wasn't very productive, you know. It, it's okay to say that. It's part of the learning. Um, so in this scenario, right, we've got a guide who is, uh, we're working different parts of the of the knack-knack, and, you know, he's saying 10 o'clock, 60 feet. Uh, 2 o'clock, 30 feet, uh, you know, 1 o'clock, 70 feet, 1 o'clock, 50 feet. And I have my 30 or 40 foot set up on my 13 foot or 15 foot rod, whatever I was using at the time. And, you know, the guy behind me is on a reel. Now, these busts are happening all over the river, right, one after another. He can change his line length. So he's casting at every single bust, okay? He's trying to make that 60-foot cast as well as that 15-foot cast and the 30 and the 40 and the 50 and the 65 all over. He's casting or, you know, he's shooting that line probably twice as much as I am. I'm letting things go. When he yells 60 feet, it's like, "Mm, can't make it. When he says 20 feet, I can't shorten my line. I can't make it. doesn't matter if it's right in front of me and I can see it. I can't cast on it because I have a 30 or 40 foot set up. I wait and I choose. But then, when I cast, I'm not exhausted and I'm accurate. So at the end of the day, when you look at net productivity, we ended up being in about the same place. Because as the day, as the time went on, he was exhausted because he was casting at everything. 
where I was waiting until those opportunities that were were within my reach, and then my cast was very accurate. So it's a yeah, different it's sense. a different philosophy. Yeah, yeah, totally understand. Let's talk about we're getting getting low on time here. Um, so uh, let's talk about what a lot of people are interested in knowing, and that's about you know uh, playing and landing a fish. Let me check. Uh, oh, here's a couple things. Just some some questions came in from Phil on online here. Uh, is is it easy to get close enough to bonefish to use your gear to catch them? What fish tend to be so spooky that you have trouble getting close to them? So um, maybe you want to take bonefish, take on that question. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've fished for bonefish, you know, I've, I go to Mexico uh, probably twice a year for bonefish, and yes, you can you can land them, you can get close enough to them, usually about a 30-foot line, and then uh, I usually tie on a regular Rio bonefish pre-made, pre-packaged leader, which is uh, nine feet, uh, and then I'm using a 13 and a half foot line, and I have no problem over and over again. Triggers are spooky fish, <laughs> so they are very hard to cast to. They're just very hard to cast to, anyways. And so, if if you're not getting that fly exactly in the right spot with the you know the right presentation, they can be a real you know, a real challenge to to get into. Tricky triggers, that's what I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> we had another uh, question, evidently. Uh, I failed to ask you what your website is, so please share with oh. everybody your, uh, your, your yeah, website sure. information. www.zentankara.com. Zentankara.com. Okay, good. Good. Yep. There you go, Frank. We got that covered. And um, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk a, a few minutes about hooking up, um, playing the fish, and landing them. Because everybody knows, you know, or wonders, well, how do I get that darn fish with 30 feet of line out to my hand? So, um, and I think those these are two really important things too, especially playing the fish, because you're, you're playing them a bit differently than what you would with a standard rod and reel, correct? And why don't you go through through that? Yes, and you're playing them differently than you would when you're fishing tenkara traditionally for small fish. Um, so when you're fishing tenkara traditionally for smaller fish, you have a small, a short line, a long rod. You're just kind of pulling your rod back. You're tipping your rod tip back, and as you're your tip goes behind you, your line comes in, right? And your fish is at your feet. If I have a 12-foot rod and a 12-foot line, my fish is in front of me. When you're casting a 30-foot line and you pull your rod tip back, your fish is still way the hell out there. So you have to play it differently. So I will say that um, a lot of time when people think about playing fish, You know, they say, well, how do you do that? Is the fish just running in circles around you? You know, you have this long, this long rod. Well, in Tenkara, many people will place fish by holding their rod 
tip up and, as I said, kind of back. You can't do that on playing big fish and for multiple reasons. The strength of a tinkara rod is in the entire tinkara rod. So if you have a rod that's 13 feet, you don't want to play a fish with, you know, the two feet of the rod. You know, you want to use 13 feet to play the fish. And in the tinkar world, we talk about, um, you know, the power position, you know, fighting with the flex of the rod, the power curve. And what that means is it is a position when the rod is fully flexed and you are distributing the load of that fish evenly over each section of the rod. And and that's critical, that it's even, that you aren't putting too much pressure in any one section. When you overload a particular section, you end up with a break. So when I am fighting uh, a large fish or steering them, because a lot of times it's, it's not so much as a fight as a management situation. Um, I do not want my tip, my rod up in the air like a lightning rod. I want to lay my rod over. And when I lay my rod over parallel to the ground, I reduce the playing field. When my rod tip is up high, it's 360 degrees, right, that, rod, that fish can go. It can go in any direction. When I lay my rod over and I fight parallel to the, to the water surface, now I've reduced the playing field to 180 degrees. I also can manage my curve or monitor my curve of my rod. So if my rod tip is behind me, I have no idea the position that my rod is in and how deep my curve is in my rod. What I want to avoid at all cost is turning my tenkar rod into a candy cane where it's straight with a little curve up top, right? That's bad. Gotcha. And at that point, you're only using the top section. And when you do that, you have no fight power. You also are at risk of having the fish throw the hook because what happens is that top section starts to bounce and flex and you are now not keeping steady tension on your hook set in the fish's mouth. And the chances of throwing the hook increases. So you want to always maintain steady tension on your line, which equates to on the fish. When I turn the rod over to the side, I want to get into a deep, gradual curve using my rod all the way down to the butt section. So when I'm really fighting something big, I never hold the rod blank. I always have my hand on the handle, but I have one hand on the top of the handle pulling back. And my lower hand on the lower part of the handle is giving the fish wood or butt, right? So I'm pushing the rod handle towards the fish while I'm pulling the rod handle against me, creating leverage and spreading the load of that fish over 
all the sections of the rod equally. And then I am working to maintain that curve all the time. Every time that fish goes to run, and this is the play part, I am using what I call a collaborative approach. I use the fish's own momentum and strength to allow him to move, but to turn his head and control his choices. So it's not it's not that the fish can run anywhere. I'm allowing the fish to move, but I'm allowing the fish to move in a direction that I'm steering him in. So what happens is I'm turning that rod over. I'm laying it over either to the left or to the right of me on a 180-degree plane off the surface of the water, if that makes sense. Without a sure, visual. sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, you and can that, steer you the know, fish's head, you can steer his body. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Phil had asked a question about this. He says, bonefish make very long, fast runs that can make the drag of a real seas. Please describe a fight that takes place when you hook a bonefish with a rod with 20 or 30 feet of line. So basically, and, and in reading one of your articles, uh, I mean, it, it's like when you hook up, you all your line is out already. I mean, there is no more line going out, right? <laughs> and, Nothing. And so, yeah. So you're there, and there's no running whatsoever. And now, like you say, you have to manage the fight from that point on, right? Yeah. So, if, you know, once they hook, you're there. You're at the end of the line. Uh, and, and at that point, you're steering the fish. And you're steering to the left, you're steering to the right. There's never a run because they have no line to take. They're, they're at the end of their rope. <laughs> right. So what happens, uh, you know, I've been fighting this fish. You had mentioned earlier you found that you brought the fish in, uh, you know, quicker than you might in a, a regular standard rod and reel setup. And um, how do I grab that fish? So what happens is, and this is uh, something that I've had discussions with various uh, fish biologists around the behavior and what is happening because um, it feels like, is this my, you know, I, I question whether it's my imagination, but because you, um, you're keeping steady tension on the fish, so there's no negotiating that, and you're working with the fish collaboratively because I can't just drag him in with a reel because I don't have a reel and I don't have any line. And, you know, science tells me for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. So if I just yank on that rod really hard, the fish is just going to yank on the rod back really hard in the opposite direction. So as I work with the fish, allowing him movement, but as I say, controlled choices, you can go, oh, you want to go this way? All right, we'll let you go this way. All right, I'll turn you around. This. You need to move a little? That's fine. We'll move a little. But I'm not going to let you get away. I'm not going to let you take off in front of me, and I'm never going to compromise my power curve. Then what happens is the fish, I truly believe, 
I swear it's not my imagination, starts to settle a little faster. He settles. I'm not just dragging him in so he doesn't feel the need to just run in the opposite direction. And there will be times, because these rods are so sensitive, you can feel every movement that fish is making. You can tell when he's trying to throw the hook. You can tell when he's about to run. The feedback and sensitivity is just unreal. And there is a moment that's very hard to describe, uh, unless you're right there doing it, where you can feel that the fish is calming down. Um, as I said, there's always pressure on the fish. So you're not like just giving in. There's always tension, constant tension on the line, but you feel like you have enough control that you can grab the line. And so at that point, you are pulling the rod you know, sort of to the side and back as far as you can, allowing yourself to grab that line. Or if you have a net partner. So it's two very different scenarios, whether you are fishing um, alone or with somebody. If I'm fishing alone, I am grabbing hold of that line. And if I'm waiting, I typically just drop my rod in the water. It's tied onto the line, so it's not going to float off or go anywhere. And I slowly and steadily, again, always keeping steady tension on the line, start to hand line the fish in. And I've done this, I do this with bonefish. I've done this um, with permit, <laughs> a smaller permit. I've done this with uh, big salmon, silvers, rainbows, chum. You you just start to bring the fish in. And when the fish feels, if it starts to freak out and feel like it needs to run, if you start to pull that line too quickly, I let it go. I give it some line. And it may go a foot or two, and then it stops. Because the minute you release the tension and it doesn't feel like it has to run, it doesn't. It, it, you know, fish don't run naturally. They run when they're <laughs> when when they're hooked, when they're trying to get away. So if you if yeah. you start to tell you know, let it know it's okay. I'm not going to release pressure, but I'm going to do this gradually. Before you know it, you know you have a a ten or fifteen pound fish in front of you, hanging out on a on a leash almost. <laughs> And um, you can easily, easily net them, or you know, or unhook them. So it's yeah. a Sounds. much calmer process than you think it is. Good. One final question, and then we'll call it a night here. A uh, question did come in on the internet from. Um, let's see here. Oops. Hold on. In the wrong screen here. Um, yeah, John Young in, in Ohio again. Uh, he, he says, many times I want to strip streamers rapidly. How do you do this with Tenkara? Good question. Yeah, great question. So you do need a rod that's got a, a, some backbone, so it isn't just you know a noodle in the water. I will say that. But 
again, you're turning the rod over to the side, since you can't strip off of a reel, then you're laying the rod over to the left or to the right. And, you, you know, the, that rod is like a great big lever. So a, a small action in the handle translates to uh, a much bigger action at the opposite end. So it takes a very small twitch movement of your wrist as you're bringing the entire rod back through the water to create that stripping motion. And you can do long, slow strips with your wrist, or you can do very short, uh, very short, uh, quick ones as you lay the rod over, uh, again, parallel to the water, and just start to move that that rod through the water, almost like a little jigging motion. Usually as I'm doing that, I'm pulling the rod back, and as I get sort of past my, you know, my shoulder point, I start to lift the rod out of the water, which creates a water load situation. So sort of my last jig motion, I just do a more exaggerated uh, wrist action, which lifts the rest of my line out does my back cast, and then I can just lay my line forward again. All right. There we go. Well, we've run out of time, Karen. Uh, stick with me. A few more minutes here. We've got a few things we're going to give away, and and I'd like your help on that. So um, just give me about – well, we're going to be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription of Fly Fishing and tying journal and that $25 gift certificate to Front Range Anglers in Boulder, Colorado. So uh, stick with me a couple more minutes. We'll give away these prizes, and we'll call it a night. Family Ties, that's T-Y-E-S. Family Ties is an organization which uses a shared interest in fly fishing and fly tying to enhance youth development and family relationships. They utilize resources in schools, communities, and businesses, and they invite your participation. Go to their website www.familyties, that's T-Y-E-S dot com, Family Ties, and where every fish is a trophy and every kid is a hero. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link uh, on our homepage in this section under tonight's show that says, what do you think of the show? Just click on that link, leave us your comments, and we'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away our prizes. Uh, the winners for the first two are randomly drawn from our show's registration database. If you didn't register for the show, uh, tonight's show, uh, it's too late now, but uh, make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on a chance to at these incredible prizes we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So first up, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. And if you don't win tonight, go sign up and become a member. Uh, they're a great organization to support. So our winner for that is see, John Young in Ohio. John Young. So congratulations, John. And I, I know you'll enjoy that membership. And um, next up is our one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. Uh, another great publisher of, of both books and periodicals, so check out what they have there, and uh, you can be pleasantly surprised. So our winner for that is Grant Dixon in Washington. Grant Dixon. So congratulations, Grant. Mm -hmm. And now, 
Yeah, woohoo. Uh, so now we'll give away a $25 gift certificate uh, to Front Range Anglers in Boulder, Colorado. And let's see. Uh, this might be a little tough, but I'll throw it out there, see if we get a bite. Uh, Karen had a um, kind of an acronym that she uses to compare both, you know, Tenkara rods from their company to a conventional rod, so you have an idea of what is what or what you might be using for what application. Uh, what is that acronym? Uh, so this may be a little hard, but uh, I want to see be. if somebody's playing there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll and go see. on the website. <laughs> yeah, they're, if, they, if they're fast enough, they got to be fast here because somebody else will step in and win. So, oh, wow. Ah, here we go. Um, I think we got it right. F-R-A-E, fly rod approximate equivalency. Is that right, Karen? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, then that's uh, yeah. Doug McLean in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta. And Doug's been a long-time listener. So, Way uh, to go, yeah, Doug. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, he was fast on that. So he was taking notes, So uh, obviously. <laughs> so uh, uh, good job, Doug, and congratulations. And Doug, all I need, I've got your email address here, so that's all I need from you tonight, um, and I'll forward that on over to uh, Front Range Anglers, and they'll send you that gift certificate by mail. So uh, congratulations. Thanks for, for paying attention and uh, for playing with us. So now, um, lastly, Karen, just want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure, and it's Great to see Tenkara going to a whole new level. I think that's exciting, and uh, thanks for sharing your, your knowledge with us tonight. You're very welcome, and know that uh, I love answering questions and brainstorming with people, so if there um, you know, are people out there that didn't get their uh, questions answered or they get on the water and, and uh, get into uh, a wondering they are more than welcome to reach out to me and through the website, and I can help them through it. Great, great. Well, thanks for that uh, that offer, and I'm sure you'll get some takers on that. So, all righty. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, I hope you've uh, found the archive on our website. If you haven't, just look in the link on the top line menu for the archive, and you'll uh, can get access to over 200 and I think 90 shows now we've done. Uh, so. Um, Use that library of uh, podcasts and uh, learn about fly fishing, and uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at all that you'll find there. Our next broadcast will be on May 22nd, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show I will interview Matt Sapinski, and our topic for the show will be the Brown Trout Atlantic Salmon Nexus. Veteran author, guide, adventurist, and chef Matthew Sapinski uh, will share with us the brown trout, Atlantic salmon lineage, and the two species' remarkable adaptability and resilience. He highlights fly fishing techniques, patterns, artistic appreciation, and culinary and foraging opportunities. So join us to learn about two of the world's most intriguing, beautiful, and noble fish. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Stackpole Books, uh, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Baja Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future podcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Well,